Father, we honor you. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word, which is so true. Speak unto our hearts, Holy Spirit. Grant that we will hear you. And because you are the greatest power, we know we will never be defeated. Be with us this night. And let all who hear, hear with hearts open and minds ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, saints, we're so glad you're able to join us once again tonight here in this cyber sanctuary as we dig into the Word of God. Tonight, I want to talk again about the quiet mind for troubled times. The quiet mind for troubled times. This is part seven of the series that I've been doing. And I want to look again at our foundational text found in the Psalms. And you know it now in that word in verse 10, Psalms says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46, 10. You know, uh, the deeper Christian life is found in intimacy with God at the relational level. People always talk about they want to be deep, I want to be deep, I want to be deep, I want to go deeper. Well, I want to tell you, it's found in intimacy with God at the relational, loving level. Your love for God, God's love for you, that relational, loving level will give you a deeper walk with the Lord. You know, deeper things are drawn out through time spent in stillness in his presence. Be still and know that I'm God. The more I get to spend time in stillness before God, the more I get time to spend in his presence, the greater my relationship with the Lord is going to be, the deeper it's going to grow. The hard question, as I mentioned last week, is can I ever get beyond need-based praying? Can I ever get beyond need-based praying? Now, for sure, this is no nothing that you ought to be ashamed of. Need-based praying is one of the core pieces and parts of prayer. We were told and admonished to pray, and we're to pray for and about our needs, and God hears us. And God even gives us ways in which to do it. Put me in remembrance of. As if to say, if you can bring this up, I can definitely show up. So there are things that we need to be able to pray for and pray through and pray about. There are intercessions that need to be brought before the Lord. But some of our felt needs are driven by our egos. I'm going to come back to that word again, ego that have caused us to elevate our thinking above the very mind of God. We've gotten to the place where we want to manipulate God. In truth, we, want, we need to move from manipulative to mercy praying. Manipulative to mercy praying. Manipulative says, my ego knows best. Mercy says, God knows what I need. 
Manipulative says, my ego knows best. Mercy says, God knows what I need. I was a little boy, uh, story told a little boy was in a candy store, and the owner of the candy store um, told him that he could reach into the big jar of penny candy. And he says, uh, reach in there, you can get a, a big handful of candy. And the little boy wouldn't do it. And he said, no, no, it's okay. Reach in there and get a handful of candy. And the little boy kept waiting. He said, no, no. His father said, go ahead. Reach in there and get a handful of candy. So finally the store owner reached in, grabbed a handful, put it in the bag. The little boy walked outside with his father. His father said, the man gave you permission. It was really okay. You could have reached in there and got yourself a handful of candy. The little boy looked at him and said, I know, but his hands are bigger. I would have got some, but because his hands are bigger, I got more. You, you see, you and I have got to get to the place that, that we have a transformed mind that has been renewed by Christ Jesus. Th this will only take place in a transformed mind that has been renewed into the mind of Christ. If your mind has not been transformed, you're not going to get this. You, you have to have a transformed mind to even think this way. I want you to go back to the scripture we lifted last week in Romans 12. And again, I want to raise it up for you in the Amplified Edition. Romans 12, look at this passage again. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, and parenthetically it says, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as living sacrifices holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, that is, logical and intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Now, now this is important because the, this parenthetical explanation says, any longer with its superficial values and customs. Don't be conformed to its superficial values and customs but be transformed and progressively changed as you, as you mature spiritually. Hold up, wait a minute, let me stick a pen up in it. Some of us have been changed. We've given our life to Christ. We've been born again, but we haven't spiritually matured. And I'm talking to mature saints tonight. I, I, you need to grow up in God. He says, as you spiritually mature, and how do we spiritually mature? We spiritually mature by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And here he says, in his plan and purpose for you. You want what's in God's plan and God's purpose for you. you. You don't want just any old thing. Lord, what's in your plan? What's in your purpose for my life? That's what I really want. That's what I really want. I, 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 the Good News Translation gives it this way. 
And, and if you have a Bible, flip over to the Good News Translation. And here it is. So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you. Offer yourselves as living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing him. This is true worship that you should offer. Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Whew. He wants to change your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is good and pleasing to him and is perfect. You see, we've got to get the mind of Christ. We've got to allow God to change our minds. You know, some of us right now, we are proud that, we, that no one can change our mind. When I make up my mind, that's what I'm going to do. Don't say anything to me. Don't, don't say that around me because I really, I really don't think highly of you when you say that. Because, you see, you want the mind of Christ. Your flesh mind is really flawed. Your flesh mind is really feeble. Your flesh mind is fallible. But God's mind is the mind of his perfect will. And his perfect will is going to bring you into a place that you're going to be delighted to be in. You see... The transformation changes how you see the world and all that is within it. That's what God wants to do. I want to change how you see the world. You know, some of us have in your lifetime been hurt. And uh, some people were hurt in childhood. You, you were hurt because someone did something to you. And unfortunately, you can't get that back. Some of you were hurt by relationships you've been in. And so you were wounded by one relationship and that partner has jaded you in every relationship you've gone into. And those hurts give us a sense of perception, how we look at the world. When we've been lied to or cheated or someone has mistreated us, we look at the world through a very skeptical lens. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, you know the story. So now we become skeptical and everything we see in the world, we see it through our pain. And because we've been viewing the world through our pain, we have a hard time surrendering our pain to get God's mind because we know our pain. We've been in it a long time. We've been wounded before. We know our wounds. We know our scars. We're comfortable with our scars. And we've been viewing the world through those scars a long time. Matter of fact, if people were honest with you, they could tell you their scars, not because you told them their, your, their, your story, but because they've been wounded by you as you suspected that they might be getting ready to wound you. Our scars end up giving us a legacy of pain. You see, transformation is an exchange of perspective from earthly to heavenly. Now, it doesn't mean I'm so heavenly good, I'm no, I'm no earthly good. No, it means that I try to look at the world through the mind of God. 
So some people that my flesh would deem unredeemable, my spirit knows are already redeemed. Some people might look at, in my flesh, may think they've done something unforgivable, but through the mind of God, I know they've already been forgiven. Some people in my flesh, I want to say later for, I don't want to see you again, but I know in my spirit that God would not do that. You see, the deeper things are drawn out through time and stillness in presence. Now, I'm going to use the word presence a lot tonight. And presence for us is going to be simply God. It's God's presence. You know, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 5, verse 24. Th this, is, this is an important word here. It says, and Enoch walked with God. We have no idea what he said, what they were doing. He was just walking with him. And then the Bible says, and he was not, for God took him. You know, Enoch walked with God until finally God said, you've walked this far. Let's continue our fellowship. All lessons in life have been learned and have been mastered. Enjoy constant fellowship with me. You've walked this far? Let's keep going, buddy. There's a thing and a place you can get to where you can trust God that God will meet all of your needs and God will take care of you, that you can rely on him. And instead of spending your time and spinning your wheels, just simply crying out for stuff, you can spend time just being with him. Um, there's a text in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is talking about praying and some people who are praying in public who just want to be seen. And then Jesus says to them, his disciples, he says, psh, psh, come here, blood. Uh, I'm sure he said blood. Come here, blood. Um, verse 8, chapter 6 says, therefore, do not be like them. Don't act like they're doing. You don't need to be seen. You, if you're not called to pray, you ain't got to make no show for anybody. He says, he says, matter of fact, let me just tell you something about prayer. Your heaven, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Your father knows the thing you have need of before you ask. You, you, weren't, you weren't asking, giving him information. He already knew you needed it. Drop down to verse 31. And you all know this one well. This is a, a good word here, 31 through 34. You see, when you have a relationship with God, worry is not necessary. Okay, let me say it another way. When you have a relationship with God, worry is superfluous. Okay, you didn't get it that way. When you have a relationship with God, worry is not needed. Here's the admonishment from Jesus, Matthew 6, 31 through 34 in the New King James Version. It says, therefore, do not worry, saying what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So it's not like, don't worry, because you really don't need it. He says, no, no, no. He knows you need it. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things come in the package, shall be added to it. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Wow. Thank you, Lord. My relationship can be a worry-free relationship. But I got to get through some stuff. I got to get through some stuff. Um, you know, back when I was young, God put it like this. I got to fight through some demons. And I don't mean these as imps of hell. I mean these are some of my personal demons, your personal demons. I got to fight through those things that have been keeping me on the worry bandwagon and keeping me run amok. You see, we live our lives in a dichotomy. And I should say in a dichotomous way. Our outer lives and our inner lives. So we live this kind of binary existence. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. Well, most evangelicals talk about the body and the spirit. And, you know, charismatics and Pentecostals, we talk about trichotomy. And when we talk about trichotomy, we talk about spirit, soul, and body. And I'm going to really dig into this a little later on, but but I want you just to see this quick visual. You know, I've got my body, I've got my soul, which I represent here in this visual around your head. My soul is in my, my mind. And the reason I do that, these are all just visuals. This is not trying to say this is where anything resides, but but I experience my my soul in my mind. And I'll come back to this in a moment. My spirit, I visualize it here as in the heart. Again, these are visuals. They're not representatives of what it is. And then I, as a holistic person, need to bring spirit, soul, and body into one transformed holistic self, fully engaged by the power of God. Now, I'll come back to that in just a moment, but stay with me for a while. You see, the reason I bring up dichotomy is we live in dichotomy or dualistic binary existence, wrestling with between the either or of life, dualistic binary existence, wrestling with the either or of life. Let me tell you something. We need a change in our passions, in our perspectives, and in our perceptions of life. We need a change. Our passions, that is, the things we become emotionally passionate about, and that can be anything from lust to just stuff we want to eat. It, our passions, our perspective, how we view life, and how we perceive life how I process it. We must move here. If it's binary, then it's oppositional thinking. And we must move beyond oppositional thinking. Now, this is important. This is a key part of tonight's lesson. So you're going to have to ride fast now because I'm going to go somewhere, but I need you to hang in with me. You see, oppositional thinking 
is the way you've been taught. You've been taught this, and on some levels, it is a correct teaching. On other levels, it falls apart because you end up dealing in absolutisms. I'll come back to that. Stay with me tonight. Oppositional thinking is the either-or thinking. It is antagonistic thinking. So there's either an enemy or there's a friend. It, we spend too much time in this kind of agonistic thinking because that, that, that antagonistic thinking puts us in a place where we have to prove somebody's wrong. Because, see, I got to be right. Therefore, I got to prove you wrong. Benjamin Franklin was one of those uh, oppositional antagonistic thinkers. Uh, on one occasion, they said that uh, he got to the place where he couldn't afford not to be right. So if he was wrong, he would go home and write the answer down in biblical language. This is the story as he said. And he'd come back and show it to the person. And because it looked like it was in the Bible, they would believe it. Got to be right. Listen, in that thinking, things are either good or bad. Now, this is important because, see, some of you who are working through worry right now, hold this thought. Because if you are a dualistic thinker, things are either good or they're bad. They're, 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 they're the kind of things that put you in a place where it's all or nothing thinking which shapes your mind to, to process in absolutes. That way, when I get to that kind of thinking, everything is either perfect or it's wrong. Now, that means that in a situation like we're in now, where we're on lockdown or, or on, on asked to shut in, oh my God, the world's falling apart. No, it's not. It's not all or nothing. You can hold two ideas at the same time. Something bad is going on. But at the same time, thanks be to God, God is still keeping and preserving and still blessing at the same time. You, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing because this is bad. You, you don't get a new car because your windshield gets cracked. Your windshield's cracked. Okay. My, my daughters were, were uh, coming home. I believe they were running home from Ohio. And, and as they were coming down the way from Ohio, the windshield in their car got cracked. And they got here. And, of course, you know, they're worried about it. And it's a windshield. It's a relatively new car. What are we going to do? No, 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 baby. Windshields crack all the time. They go. They wonder if I'm going to be upset. For what? I'm just glad you didn't get thrown off guard and didn't shirk the wheel and spin out the road or something. No, it's a car. A piece of metal. My dad told me this when I was a young man. I got in an accident in Alabama and when I got out, I was upset because I had tore up his new car. My dad walked up to me and he said, he looked at me. I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I tore your new car. My dad looked at me and he said, Son, I can get a new car but I can't get a new you. When you were born, nobody cried and nobody bled. Well, your mother cried and your mother bled. But when this car was made, nobody cried and nobody bled. I need you. We can get cars. 
those girls came here. They were here. They they got their car and <clears throat> riding around cracked windows. Doesn't look good. So they tried to get it fixed, and the guy was able to fill up the hole for them. And then they wanted to get it repaired. Get it repaired. You know, get the new windshield. The kind of car they had. There's only a few places they could do it. Just so happened, they were heading back to Ohio. They said, well, one place is in New York, another place is over here, and there's a place in Ohio. Just so happened, the place in Ohio was less than 10 minutes from their house where they stay at school. Hey, let me tell you something. You, you don't have to worry about stuff. It's never all bad. It's never all bad. Get your head up. Yes. Things are not always perfect, but they're not always bad. You see, some people say, either you're for me or you're against me. Well, now when it comes to being on the side of Christ, maybe that's true. But you have to realize this, that, that you can have a person that believes in you, loves you, and cares for you, and still be able to tell you truth. And because I speak truth to you, doesn't mean I'm against you. Look, this is going to mess somebody up. The spirit is not binary. The spirit is not binary. It is not locked into anything. You see, in order to receive this next thing, your mind has to be willing to allow for paradox, to allow for mystery. Yep. Your mind has to be able to allow for mystery. Your mind, you have, must learn, listen to this, you must learn to consciously live with unresolved contradictions. Consciously live with unresolved contradictions. Now, the, you, you need to get this because, see, you've been living with, with contradictions your whole life, and you've accepted them. I'll put it like this way. Every believer has unconsciously spent your entire Christian life of faith living in mystery. Your whole life. So you might as well consciously live it. Our ancestors had to deal with it, and they taught us how to deal with it through song. You, you know the song. We'll understand it better by and by. Which says, I, just, I live with it. I don't know how it's going to work out. I live with it. I'll understand it better by and by. I don't understand it now. I live with the mystery and I'm okay. I'm good with it. You see, um, I don't know how, watch this, consciously living now with mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52. This is just a quick example. I'm not going to dwell on this. I got a lot more to do today. But just a quick example. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52. He says, behold, I show you a mystery. Well, definitely a mystery because we don't know how this is going to happen. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I'm good with that. I know who told me. I believe it. When is my time? 
when he comes back, I'm going to be ready to change. Get, put down my mortal body, pick up my immortal body, I'm ready to go. You see, you live with these unconsciously. I want you to live with them consciously because the conscious person recognizing these is a person of true faith because it doesn't bother them. Paul puts it like this. See, I'm going to tell you what. I realize my life is in God's hands. i tell you like this. Whether I live or die, it really doesn't matter. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Either way, I, I win. I, um, some of you older saints out there, you remember Reverend Eichendorf? And I, I know we, you don't believe in this stuff. But I used to love Reverend Eichendorf. You carry a coin around. On one side said luck. The other side said blessings. And Reverend Eichendorf said, flip that coin. He flipped the coin up. Time out luck. Flip that coin. Flip it up. Come out blessings. Reverend Eichendorf looked back at it and said, I tell you now, you can't lose with the stuff I use. Well, I want to tell you, in truth, you can't lose in God if you really are a believer and walk by faith and not by sight. But we have treated prayer with dualistic, binary thinking. We've treated prayer in the same manner, unwittingly making winners and losers in prayer. Now I'm, I'm gonna walk down somebody's street. You see, because those that get to receive favorable answers, ding, 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 you win. Those that receive unfavorable answers, uh, you got the gong. Sad man, come get him off the Apollo stage. Listen, this winning mentality places individual and his or her needs above God. Okay, you didn't get that one. Come here, Daniel. I'm sure you were praying. Scripture says you were praying three times a day. And yet, you ended up in the lion's den. Come here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And yet, you ended up in a furnace. Oh, wait a minute. Come here, Job. And yet you lost so much. Come here, Jesus. You prayed in Gethsemane and yet you went to Calvary. All prayers are not answered the way you want them to be. Okay. You see, the winning mentality places the individual and his or her needs above God. It is the ego, this is important, the ego, the I or self of any person that has control and its desire is to bind God or bend God's will to yours. That's what the ego wants to do. It wants to bind God or bend God's will. 
You see, the relationship with God is reduced to usury. It is transactional. And in a usury relationship, if I don't get what I want, then I'm mad. I ain't going back to church no more. I ain't praying no more. See, some of us, we think we can hold God hostage. We like that little boy who asked God for something for Christmas and God didn't give it to him. He had been praying and God didn't give it to him. So he went to the church with his little red wagon, got to the church with a little red wagon, went inside the church, and there was a statue of Mary. And he went in there and he snatched that statue, put that statue in the back of his red wagon, and rolled on, walked on home. Got home, and then he prayed. He said, God, I got your mother. I'm holding her hostage, and I ain't going to let her go until you give me my prayer. <laughs> doesn't work that way. You can't do that. <laughs> God desires a relationship with you that's based on being in his presence for the delight of it alone. I hope y'all get this, Joe. Look, God desires a relationship with you that's based on being in his presence for the delight of it alone. Listen, the goal of prayer is to maintain a conscious union with God relationship. That's what it is. I need to say it again. The goal of prayer is to maintain a conscious union with God relationship it seeks relationship out of which all yes all all requirements are met it seeks connections out of which all corrections are lovingly accepted you see when you're in relationship with God that, that this is why Christ is the telos. That's what Romans says. The end of the law. You don't need law because you're going to do right because you're in loving relationship with God. Okay. This prayer of const uh, contemplation of meditation is offered in stillness. You got to get still. You got to get quiet enough to get it done. So the question you've asked, and I know you've asked it in your heart, if not with your mouth or even typing it, you've asked the question, how do we get stillness? How do we get to stillness when we live in a world filled with confusion? How do we get to stillness when we live in a world filled with confusion? Three paths to get to stillness. Three paths. Path number one. Path number one, develop a sense of self. Develop a sense of self. And I've put it there, the self is the soul. 
Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Let's go to this trichotomy. And I'm going to tell you how this is flawed, but don't, don't, don't tell nobody I told you. I'm going to tell you how this is a flawed representation because it's not quite fully clear. Watch this. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Ooh, God, thank you, Lord. You, you, you need to ask the Lord to sanctify me. Sanctify me. Sanctify me completely holy. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back again. Let's go back again to this issue of spirit, soul, and body that we began with in the initial slide. I want to go back. Your body is this wonderful thing that you live in. Your soul is your mind. It's your emotions, your will, your intellect. It's your cognitive awareness. It is your consciousness. And your spirit is the divine presence of God within. Holistically, they must come together. I have people all the time, and, and, and you know, people say this. They say, they say, uh, they say I, I'm spiritual. I'm just not, re not religious. Let me help you right here. You are right in ways you don't know. Not religious simply means you have not come into a knowledge of God to get your spirit renewed and right. But you are spirit. You are spirit. I'll come back to it in a minute. Matter of fact, and, and, and before I get back to that, since I'm, I'm in the mood for telling slight jokes, um, let me help you here. You are spirit that is disconnected from its creator or originator. I'm not talking about believers. I'm talking about the, everybody. This is the part that messes up believers. Everybody has a piece of God in them. That is what animates them. It is not the soul that drives. It is the spirit. And the spirit is God's. The Imago Dei, the image of God, is not your face. It is God's spirit in you. And the reason why you want to be spiritual is because your spirit is trying to reconnect to its origin. If you saw the movie E.T., E.T. is trying to phone home. Yeah. Inside of you is trying to phone home to get back to God, to get its connection back. That's why people seek God in all kinds of crazy ways. Because they need it. They sense it. They desire it. They want it. God's spirit within them craves and longs to be in fellowship with them. Ah, 
Let's put it another way. You are, and I'm going to put this next slide up because it's going to bless your soul here. You are a body. You're living in a body. And um, in case you don't know it, beloved, um, the body you're living in is the host. Your body receives information. And it receives it through the five senses. Hearing, tasting, smelling, sight, touch. Your body's receiving information. It's getting that information in, and that information is being fed into your soul. Your body feeds that information in your soul. Your soul collect, collates that information, and you end up making decisions out of it. The new information coming in and the memories you have of the old information. And your soul is making, making decisions one way or another what you ought to do. So your body is the information center for how you get things into your soul. So that your eyes become the window into your soul because they are taking information through that window and bringing it directly into your soul. And everything you do as a result of that information is a reflection of your soul. And so what you are doing every day of your life is you're reflecting your soul in how you participate in the time-space world. Your body is in time and place. Your soul is in the time-space world. You are here, present in this world, living in a body. Your soul or your conscious awareness is there. You are there. You are for all intents and purposes, you are a living being. Yes, a living being. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but, but understand this. I'm, I'm going to rush. But get this. While your body is giving information to your soul, if you notice the overlap of the circle, it is because your spirit, which is also housed in your body, is also trying to give information to your soul. And it's the part of you that is trying to tug on you to be in relationship with the divine and with God. That's, that's the reason why you could be the worst axe murderer, killer, you could be anything, name the criminal, name the crime, and unless their conscious has been seared with a hot iron, their spirit is still trying to communicate to the soul. All the body knows, it gets through the senses. Here's, the, here's something you need to realize. Satan will use your body and when I say use your body, I'm not just talking about in licentious ways. Don't, don't just go there in your mind. Satan will use your body in an attempt to enter your soul so he can affect your spirit. He'll use your body in an attempt to enter your soul so he can affect your spirit. 
And the closer your spirit gets to moving towards God, the more he will try to use your body to affect your soul so he can affect your spirit. You see, your soul is made up your mind, emotions, your will, your intellect, your consciousness. It is the seed of your personality. It interprets the data that comes in from the body and it makes decisions. Your soul. The soul was given to you at birth. You became a living soul. The spirit is, is beyond the realm of soul and body. It is beyond it. It is beyond the known and reason. Uh, I said it before. Let me say it again another way. We are living beings where earth and heaven meet. Chew on that one for a second. We are living beings where earth and heaven meet. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 puts it this way. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. We are living beings. It is the spirit that animates the body and soul. Now this this bothers this will bother some people who are who are in in our our realm of charismatic Pentecostal. Uh, they 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 would like to think that that you would get the spirit of God when you get the Holy Ghost. No, that's a part of the renewed spirit. I'll come back to that next week. But you can't have. Well, let me give it to you like this. If a battery is completely dead. You can put a charge on it, but it won't charge. The only way a charge works on a battery is that there's some life in it. It is the life in it that is charged by the power of God and renewed and the old man dies and the new man... Next week, next week, next week. Come on back, come on back. I'll break it down for you. You, you have to understand something. The spirit is there. The, the, the second thing, the second thing, the second thing, the second thing, and this is important. You have to develop a sensitivity to spirit. A sensitivity to spirit. Now, before I get to this, this sensitivity to spirit, let me, let me put this to you. You have become dependent on your soulish person for decision making. Facts, information, data, experience. You use those things to do analysis, you make judgments and decisions. If the facts, information, data, and experience are corrupted, your analysis is corrupted, you make bad decisions. If the facts, information, data, and experience are weak or lacking, you make shallow decisions. So 
Paul puts this one, when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child. When I became a man, that's when I recognized I put away childish things because I had facts, information, data, and experience that measured up to where I was at chronologically. What I have to realize is I have become dependent on that. It is what I know. It is what you know. It is the way you've been doing it your whole life. And in some cases, you say, it works for me. Good. I'm glad it's working for you. Up to now. Because we can save you a lot of headache in the next few minutes. Because if you can develop a sensitivity to the spirit, then all of a sudden, you will not rely on the flesh or your soul as the directing, guiding force of your life. Now, we go back to our picture last week. The thronal part puts now the spirit in charge and the soulish man, the flesh man, is now put in its proper place and the spirit now that gives life now leads me. Okay. So now I got to get to this spirit thing. You see the... Spirit is sort of shrouded in, in mystery. But understand this. The spirit in you is your divine DNA. It's the God-connected essence. Formless and bottomless in time and beyond time. It's God's internally, it's God internally manifested. It's God internally manifested. I, 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 I will say this, that, that, that it is in your spirit where, where one can get to the place where your spirit will be able to take control and put down all that you thought was in control in your mind. You see, the soul, stay with me for a moment, is what I call the trysting place, uh, the meeting place of humanity and divinity, where the wrestling of control has its a priori functionality. The inescapable truth is that we merge two worlds into one. Secular and sacred seek to influence the soul. And each making greater claim on the body to function in time according to its own dictates. The body's secularity has advantages. It's undergirded by culture and custom. The body is born in sin and shaped in iniquity and has developed a dependency upon its memory and it's filled with facts information and data of a lifetime of both positive and negative circumstances. These are known. They are familiar. Their navigation is known to you. They make sense to you. You trust them. But now, you must learn to trust the Spirit. 
trust God. See, I lean not to my own understanding. I don't care how good your understanding is, but I acknowledge him in all my ways because my desire is that he will direct my path. I, I close now. I'm close. I'm coming to an end. The third and most important part of this is what this is all about. I have to develop a satisfaction of stillness. A satisfaction of stillness. <clears throat> For those of you who like to run around all the time, you have to really work hard to get here. Uh, my, my people around me all the time says, you, you don't mind being still. You don't mind. No, I've developed a satisfaction of stillness. I walk in peace on a daily basis. And it's not that I don't have things that are going on. It's not that there's not enough that without God I could lose it. But because I know in whom I have believed, I walk in a stillness and a divine trust in him. He, here's the thing. Your next prayer, your next contemplation, I asked last week that you would spend seven minutes in the morning and seven minutes in the evening in stillness. I want you to double it this week. 14 minutes in the morning and 14 minutes in the evening. Whenever you find the time, if you have to split them up into four sevens, do four sevens. But if you can get 14 minutes in the morning, 14 minutes in the evening, you're going to be on your way. By the time I'm finished with this series, you'll be a great contemplative prayer person. Okay. <clears throat> Here's the goal. I'm almost done. Here's the goal. This is going to mess your head up. Here's the goal. Make stillness not answers the goal. Make stillness not answers the goal. Not trying to get an answer. Not trying to hear a word. Not trying to see a vision. Just trying to be still. Just trying to sit in his presence. Just trying to be still. Just sitting in his presence. I've got a quick three things. And I hope, hopefully you get them on, on your, your boards. Y'all chat these up in the chat room. Y'all get these three things to hold on to. First, be present to the presence. Be present to the presence. Again, we're using the word presence for God. Be present to the presence. In other words, don't be all over the place. Stay in God's presence. Mama said it this way. Be before the Lord. Be present to the presence. Two, be persistent in the presence. 
be persistent in the presence, which means that while you're before the Lord, when you have an idle thought come up, you start thinking about what am I going to eat for dinner, you, you block that out. By, you can say your, your sacred word. I, I mentioned to you last week, you can use Jesus. You can use Yeshua. You can use, I, I remember the, when we used to use, when I was younger, I was a kid back then, they used to use Maranatha. Come Lord, come on. Maranatha. But be persistent. So whenever a thought comes up, just flick it away. Keep flicking away any thoughts so you can be persistent in the presence. So you may say to yourself, well, Bishop, I keep getting all kind of crazy thoughts. I don't know how much stillness I practice. If you were doing it, you were doing well. You were doing well. Remember, this is not a race. Not a, this is a learning how to be before God. And then finally, be patient within the presence. Yeah. You see, that being patient simply means that I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to wait on God. And in truth, it is never me waiting on God. It is always God waiting on me to get in a place to receive his presence. But I'm willing to be patient. I'm going to stay right there. Well, Bishop, nothing happened. I, I spent 14 minutes yesterday morning, and I spent 14 minutes yesterday afternoon, and nothing happened. What was supposed to happen? Stillness. Well, was I supposed to hear something? No. Was God supposed to say something to me? No. There'll be time for that. Right now, all you want to do is to learn how to be still. You know, um, movie Karate Kid, um, the first one and the second one, had the motion of wax on and wax off. Wax on, wax off. After a while, the, the Karate Kid gets frustrated. All you have me doing is washing these cars. Wax on, wax off. It doesn't make sense. I want to learn how to do karate. He said, come here, boy. I've been teaching you karate all along. So what you mean? He said, he went to throw a punch at him. He said, wax on. Kid, block this way. He said, wax off. Kid, block. Just because you don't understand it don't mean you're not getting it. Be still and know that he is God. That's the goal. Stillness rest of the stuff it's gonna come